0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to How to College for First Gents, our podcast where we get together with fellow First Gents to talk about their first-generation college journey. I am Norma, one of the podcast co-hosts and also a First Gen myself. On today's episode, we will be talking about first-generation college students who took an interesting and different route via ROTC in one of the academies, West Point. Our first guest will be Nathan who is enrolled in an Air Force ROTC program. To ensure we're all aligned, Nathan is a college student who is enrolled in a special program called ROTC. In this program, he is being trained to become an officer. He has a scholarship that is helping to pay for his school. Although, please note that not all ROTC students obtain this scholarship, and Nathan will discuss more. Our second guest attended one of the academies, West Point which is essentially the college for the Army. The whole school is paid for with a goal similar to ROTC, which is to commission as an officer upon graduation. Both options entail serving our country once the program is completed. Today, we will hear two very different paths on what it means to be a first gen in the armed forces. So let's get started. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today.
0: Tell our audience a little bit about you.
1: I was born and raised in the East County of San Diego. I led a very active high school life, did two years of water polo, two years of lacrosse, and then I was doing martial arts since before high school and all the way through high school. And then I also participated in FIRST Robotics. I did not participate in junior ROTC, and I didn't really consider it while I was in high school. My high school was unique in its offering of introductory vocational courses through California's Project Lead the Way program, which really drew me to the school to begin with. I am interested in science and engineering and so I was able to participate as a part of their engineering pathway, and I really learned some interesting skills that I think I wouldn't have otherwise, even in my college experience.
0: Wow, I have no idea how in the world you were able to fit all of that in, in 24 hours. So tell me a little bit about your family. How did you realize you were going to become a first-generation college student?
1: So college has always been a part of my academic plan. I'm very academically driven. I've had these big aspirations since even middle school to become a physicist and to go on to a good university where I could actually indulge in these interests. And so it was never really a question of if I was going to college, but when I was going to college, and my family has always been extremely supportive of that. My dad has some college experience. He went to community college and earned an associate's in fire science, which really helped him with his career as a state firefighter. My mom, she grew up on a farm in England, and she's had many, many, many life experiences that have been extremely rewarding and valuable. And because of that, they were extremely supportive of my own educational goals.
0: So your family from a very young age, they understood the value of an education. And for you, it was never a question of if you were going to do it, but it was sort of the next step down the road. Please tell our audience, what does ROTC stand for? And at what point did you learn about this? And did you think this might be an interesting opportunity to do while in college?
1: ROTC stands for Reserve Officer Training Corps. And it's a program that students can participate in concurrently with their college education, where they're gaining a military aptitude. So you learn about the branch of service that you're participating in, you gain some requisite skills that you will use in your eventual military career. And then it provides a pathway for a college graduate to then commission as an officer because a college degree is a required part of any commissioned officer in any branch of the United States Armed Forces. And so This program, it's quite diverse, actually. So we get people from all kinds of creeds and backgrounds. There's people on scholarship and people off scholarship. Actually, I think that's something that people don't realize about the ROTC program is there's actually more people in the in-college program that are not on scholarship, that are simply in the program because their ultimate life's goal has been to become an officer in their respective service branch. I guess a little more context about myself, I'm currently in the Air Force ROTC program. And part of what drew me specifically to the Air Force is really that research mindset that I've been fostering since middle and high school, where I've really wanted to get this physics degree. And the Air Force offers these amazing research opportunities and research funding opportunities through Air Force research labs and plenty of opportunities for me to take this into further education in graduate school. So that was something that was appealing to me from the beginning. Ultimately, the conversation about ROTC as it fits into my academic plan really centered around funding. In Southern California, the cost of living, as many people know, is quite astronomically high. And as a result of that, I could definitely manage to attend any kind of state school. But if I had aspirations to go to private schools, such as the University of Chicago, where I currently attend, I would need to find some supplemental resources to really enable my family to support my goals in the way that they want to support me. And so we discovered RTC through some family friends of ours who are affiliated with the services, and then started pursuing what's called the high school scholarship program in order to try and achieve my dream.
0: So it sounds like for you, it was a combination of two things, this academic thirst that you have for research and finding a place that would essentially foster this paired up with you need to pay for college and you need to find an opportunity to do so. Tell us a little bit about that moment when you and your family had that conversation of yes, you are going to college, but you are doing a different type of program that as you mentioned, allows you to become an officer, but it also means that you're going to serve and maybe be deployed.
1: This is a reflection of my specific experience experience and many, many RTC cadets have quite different experiences with whether or not they receive funding and how they may or may not receive funding. The process really kind of starts around your junior year of high school. I really started looking into what the application entailed. There was a fitness component. You have to pass a medical examination. You actually have to be a U.S. citizen to apply for the high school scholarship program. And then the process of earning one of these scholarships is as competitive as actually applying to some of these schools. And one doesn't necessitate the other. So it's very possible for somebody who's applying to the program to receive a scholarship and not be accepted to the school they're trying to go to or vice versa. I was blessed enough to earn both opportunities to both the University of Chicago and to the scholarship, which allowed me to pay my way.
0: So essentially, there's two applications, right? There's the ROTC application, and then there's the college application, and it has to be a match.
1: That is correct. They are totally separate applications. The Air Force handles all of their Air Force ROTC applications. And then through the Common App and other avenues, you know, you're applying to college.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So tell me a little bit about what is going through your mother's head and your father's. As you mentioned, your dad is a firefighter, so maybe he's already used to that discipline. But are your parents afraid that one day you will be deployed? deployed. Like, how are y'all having these conversations when you're 18 years old?
1: I mean, I think now that I'm a fourth year in college, and that transition into active duty service is becoming more and more of a reality in our minds. It's definitely part of the discussion. There's a little bit of apprehension. But overall, service is something that's been a big part of my family for a long time. It's a big part of my religious convictions. It's a big part of my dad's mindset through his government service and my mom's mindset through just her volunteering, and her willingness to serve in different capacities. So ultimately, that's sacrifice is something that I was willing to take that risk on in order to achieve my goals. And my family was willing to support that risk in order to see me get where I felt like I wanted to be.
0: So basically, what you're saying it was a cost benefit analysis. Yes, these are part of the steps you have to do, but the benefits that you would receive from it outweighed any potential risks that are involved with it.
1: Exactly. And committing to this type of program really does take a certain kind of patriotism in a sense, right? Because you have to be willing to give yourself to this government in whatever kind of capacity that they ask you to serve in in the military. So it is something that you really have to weigh. Even in college, say you don't do the high school scholarship program, but you decide to join the program while you're in college. It's a big decision for people to make. It is a risk and you do have to be willing to accept that.
0: So your college life was very different because you obviously were in a quote-unquote normal college. You're not in an academy where everybody is getting ready to go serve. You are actually seeing college students that are having a quote-unquote normal life. Let's talk a little bit about what your everyday life was like and what are some of the things that you think you missed out on and some of the advantages because you were part of this program.
1: I don't think there's anything that I really missed out on overall. There's certain concessions that you have to make. There's certain standards the Air Force expects you to uphold. And I definitely have upheld them throughout my four years. But the University of Chicago is a very study-heavy university. Engaging with students in that capacity has not been withheld. And some challenges of the program definitely include getting up at ungodly hours. But sometimes it involves getting up at 5 a.m. and going to work out or going to help out cadets or actually lead the program. So one thing that I think people may not realize about RTC is third and fourth year cadets are actually creating the curriculum. Them and instructing first and second year cadets and getting them ready for what's called field training, which is our two week summer training commitment between your second and third year of college. It does add quite a bit of responsibility to those third and fourth year students. I think the time commitment is probably comparable to like a part-time job. So it can create time conflicts with other clubs and maybe with employment opportunities. But one area where I actually think RTC has even enhanced my college experiences through opportunities such as study abroad. So I was fortunate enough to be selected. And again, this is something you have to apply for. It's an extra opportunity that the Air Force offers to its cadets. It's a study abroad program called Project Go, where I was able to study Russian language for two months in the summer in Estonia. It was an amazing opportunity. I really got to engage with the local cultures there. I got to take some academic classes. I got to do some touristy things in Eastern Europe. And so the program definitely demands a lot of the people in it, but it also gives you a lot of opportunities as well.
0: And it sounds like you were able to find those opportunities and take advantage of them. As somebody who also studied abroad, I loved my time in Spain. And I think I learned so much about me as an individual and the type of leader that I am and the type of person that I am. So highly encourage all of our first gens, if they get that chance, whether it be through ROTC or their regular college career, to explore that tell me a little bit about your everyday life. So just walk us through a day of a fourth year ROTC cadet. What time do you wake up? What do you do first? What time do you go to class? You mentioned that extra layer of responsibility. So if you could embed it in there, that would be really helpful just to get us a vivid image of what your life is like.
1: I guess I'll preface this by saying that my schedule can sometimes be chaotic. Day-to-day can really change the timing of when I have to wake up or go to bed. And so I usually start my day with my academic classes. I really focus, particularly in these last two quarters, to getting the best grades that I possibly can. And so it involves preparation for my classes, which start at about 11 o'clock or noon. And then I have class Monday, Wednesday, Friday throughout most of the day. Uh, And then in the evening and even throughout the day, I have to be ready to take phone calls from the officers in charge of the program or even my cadet peers because we have to be starting that planning process for the week's activities for ROTC. I personally prefer to work out in the evening just because that's when it seems to fit best with my schedule. With the coronavirus pandemic, the university gym has adopted a program where you have to sign up for a slot ahead of time. So I usually schedule that over the weekends to make sure that I get my hour slot. And then we currently have our detachment operations Tuesdays and Thursdays. So Tuesdays involves an academic class, which is in the morning for about three hours. And that's where we really get to engage with the history of the Air Force. We get to learn some of the day to day, what it's like to live as an Air Force officer, certain logistical items that you may need to know, like recently we talked about what the Air Force retirement plan is like and all of those important things you would know to be a successful officer and to have a successful career as an officer. Thursdays, we have our leadership laboratories and that's where third and fourth year cadets, we've been planning that curriculum throughout the whole week. And we then present it to the first and second year cadets and they are expected to execute it as if they were a student in our class effectively. We usually try to have a group PT session as well when it fits in and when it's safe with the pandemic. That's really what it comes down to just time management is the ultimate key when it comes to scheduling RTC with your academic schedule because it can be so so rigid sometimes with that scheduling and then you've really got to be on top of your homework as well finding time for homework (laughs) sometimes it can be a challenge you got to either fit it in in the morning or fit it in the evening wherever you can
0: So I'm guessing all of this not only has taught you to be extremely careful with how you spend your time, but also extremely disciplined. Tell me a little bit about how that discipline came about. Like when you're doing something, I'm guessing you're 100% focused on the one thing because you know, your time is so constrained. So what are some tips there? And what do you think you have taken out of the discipline piece?
1: I did have a little bit of a learning curve first year. I think everybody, when they first come into college, has that experience of, wow, this is quite a bit different than the high school experience. I would say any advice to, especially a first-generation college student, but even any college student, don't let yourself get suckered into having abnormal sleep schedules. Find that good sleep schedule right from the beginning. It will really help you to be more successful because you'll be more alert throughout the week. You'll find that you actually have more time because you're scheduling in a better amount of sleep, and then you'll be be more engaged with activities you're doing. And definitely use a calendar. Calendar usage is something that I've learned to adopt over the last few years, especially as I've had more and more tasks pile on and it basically got to a point where I really needed that calendar. Find some way that works for you to make sure that you can have that tick box list of I have these activities to do. I've completed them. I know that I've done my job completely.
0: Nathan, I could not stress your first point enough to our first chance about getting enough sleep. I think that I was someone who did not realize that until much later on in my career. And I'm 30 now. But I can tell you that I am still feeling the negative effects from a terrible sleeping schedule that I had in college. So if there's anything that I could change, if I could go back is ensuring that I was sleeping at least seven hours a day and like actual normal times midnight to seven instead of sneaking in an hour here and an hour there. So I think that is such a valid point that you're bringing up. Let me ask you something. What is it that surprised you the most about doing college in ROTC?
1: I guess one thing about the military environment as a whole that kind of surprised me is just how change oriented the organization can be. There's a quote by the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Brown, who said, accelerate change or lose. And I think that's really valid when you're in Air Force ROTC, because if you're not ready to change. If a new policy comes down, or if the schedule changes, and you're expected to be somewhere and you weren't previously expecting to be there, if you can't roll with those punches and wholeheartedly engage at the moment, you're going to fall behind. And so it's really important to be adaptable.
0: So can you give me an example of a change that you have seen implemented from your last four years that kind of just shook the organization a bit and how they were able to essentially do the change management piece?
1: Just this last year with the pandemic, we've had to totally revamp the way that ROTC does business. We're a fairly large club. Actually, our detachment is quite small compared to other detachments nationally. But compared to most college clubs, we have about 50 or 60 members. That's not very conducive to a learning environment. and so we had to really adapt fast and come up with creative online ways of teaching a material that's actually quite oriented for in-person learning and still make it both informative for the cadets and also give them an opportunity to express leadership and not just have these lecture-based opportunities, particularly during the spring of last year and the fall of last year. That was a huge challenge. And now this last semester, as more and more has been learned about the virus and we've been able to adapt, we've been able to gradually reincorporate some sensible in-person activities, which has really also been an adaptive change for the program where we really have to keep in the back of our mind, you know, is what we're doing sensible with pandemic? And how are we going to adapt these activities such that cadets are going to be safe with one another? That's been something that I think the detachment has done extremely well on in adapting.
0: Yeah, I think this past year really shook all of us in the private sector, in the public sector, just all around. I don't think any of us were prepared for this. And you're right that we had to adapt very quickly. And one thing that did not come clear to me is, do you all have a dorm specifically for ROTC? Or do you essentially have your own apartment, you get to make your own food, and the only thing that is ROTC-related are, are these classes and this extra curriculum that you have to do on top of the physical training you have? To do?
1: There is no one-size-fits-all answer to that question, unfortunately. So it depends on the university. Some universities, yes, do have ROTC dorms. Everybody kind of gets together. You go to these military activities together. You go to your academic classes together in a lot of senses. There's a big community. Actually, in Chicago, we are consisted of a lot more crosstown universities where we have one school that hosts the detachment, but lots of universities can also participate in the program. And they simply have to transit a couple of times a week from the their home institution to where the ROTC detachment lives. My college experiences, the Air Force ROTC was very separate from my academic life. And so I lived in a normal dorm, ate normal dorm food. In fact, I would be doing that this year, except the fourth year students were advised to seek alternative housing so that they could prioritize dorm housing for the first year students. But it really depends on the detachment you go to, the university that you choose to attend. You can have quite a different experience depending. know where you go.
0: So what comes next, Nathan, you're about to graduate. Congratulations ahead of time. How many years do you owe to the Air Force? And what is your career going to look like when you are essentially deployed? Or I don't know if the right terminology is?
1: Yes. So the first step is once you graduate, you commission as a officer in whatever branch of service you participate in. I participate in the Air Force ROTC program, and I've had this very unique experience that may not be replicated even by people within the same branch. But there's also Navy ROTC, where those cadets can commission into either the Marine Corps or the Navy. There's also Army ROTC. I believe there are some commissioning pathways into the Coast Guard as well. However, I can't say if there are pathways through ROTC into that. But essentially, you commission as an officer, and then you await your date to enter active duty. That can either be a deployment abroad, you can be stationed here, you can be stationed pretty much wherever your branch of service has a particular need for you and where it fits into your career field. I can't speak for the other branches or even the Air Force as a whole, but I know for myself, I am hoping to go into a research position within the Air Force and hopefully transition into that.
0: So it's very interesting, Nathan, that you're saying this because I think for the general public, when we think about people in the armed forces, we... We definitely do not think of people in a cult doing research. Oftentimes, the images that come to our head are people that are going to go fight wars. But it sounds like you are going to take a different path. There are so many career choices in the armed forces. So what are some of those careers that oftentimes people don't associate with the armed forces?
1: The Department of Defense is the largest government agency within the United States government. And so there are little tendrils of the Department of Defense into pretty much every aspect of life, whether it's research or communications or more standard, what people would consider to be military activities. The Department of Defense has some kind of influence in those different avenues. And so there's plenty of opportunities for people, no matter what they want to do, to find avenues into whatever branch of service they may be considering. So there's lots of doctors, for example. I think a lot of people don't realize that there are RTC scholarships available that people can pursue to go and get medical degrees in graduate school and law degrees. And so there's avenues for pretty much every career field. There's some kind of a parallel with the military. I can really only speak speak towards my own experience and the fact that I really pursued this option because of what I saw about scientific research in the military and the types of opportunities that that would provide through lots of funding. For example, science is really driven by funding. And so having access to facilities that are going to be on the cutting edge and work really closely with civilian institutions. There's plenty of corollaries in the scientific community between the military and the civilian sector. And so the world is the oyster so to speak. Anybody can really do anything.
0: I love that. I think that is the big takeaway here for me, and I hope for other first gens. There are so many careers that you can take while still doing ROTC, right? So I think the question for first gens out there is: if you are interested in serving your country in this capacity, it does not mean that you have to give up per se your other dreams, right? Like there's a way to intertwine them in the way that you have been able to do, Nathan, with your research. And I'm guessing maybe you're thinking the PhD route here.
1: Oh, absolutely, Uh, and. again, that was something that I've really kind of had my eyes on from the very beginning. I've always really wanted to pursue that graduate education. And it's definitely something that's extremely important for the physics career field, getting those advanced degrees. I guess I could also mention, in addition to physics, I'm also studying Russian language and literature. I kind of alluded to that earlier. But that's also something that the Air Force has been really supportive of, too, through study abroad opportunities. So there's really all kinds of amazing opportunities and avenues that can be found through this program.
0: That's awesome. Here's my last question for you. If you could go back in time, what kind of questions do you think you would have asked yourself or maybe you did ask yourself when thinking about ROTC as the way through college? What questions should our first generation college students be asking themselves to learn or to figure out if ROTC might be the right avenue for them?
1: I would say first and foremost, do your research. All the branches of the military offer plenty of information online about what it means to be an RTC cadet and also what kinds of opportunities are available for you once you've transitioned from college to active duty service or reserve service. I think that's really important to analyze because you really need to make an informed decision as to whether or not the program is right for you. I don't think the program is right for everyone. So that's really a conversation that you need to have with yourself. I think it can also be helpful to maybe reach out to a local detachment at whatever university is closest to you. Try and speak with some of the cadets at that university. Really get a feel for what that experience is going to be like, whether it's something that you really want to be a part of. It might even be helpful if you have an idea of what university you're trying to go to, to reach out to that specific detachment as well for whatever branch of service that may be. And again, my experience was really kind of driven by my own goals and aspirations. And so I can only speak for that. It's important for people to really have those conversations with themselves and to analyze everything that they've got before them to make the best decision possible.
0: Well, Nathan, thank you so much for all of the tips and the elaboration and and explaining to us what it is to be an ROTC cadet. And we thank you so much in advance for your service to our country. And we hope to hear back from you once you are a doctoral student at a top-notch university.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now we will move to Eddie Ortega, our guest who attended a couple of the prep schools before getting into West Point. Hi, Eddie. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: I'm all right. Thanks for uh, having me on your show.
0: Of course. Our pleasure. So, Eddie, tell our audience a little bit about you.
2: My name is Eddie Ortega. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas, into a family of seven immigrant parents, four siblings, two older sisters, two older brothers as well. Went to one year in Shriner University in Kerrville, Texas, and that served as a preparatory program for the academy. Then after graduating from that one-year program, I went into West Point.
0: Good. So we're actually going to dig in a little bit to each one of the faces before we talk about your experience over at West Point. So let's talk a little bit about how your first generation college experience was like. So at what point did you realize, well, my parents haven't gone to college. You had some siblings that did. At what point were you like, okay, we are first generation college students?
2: I think it was pretty apparent from the start because of just like the family dynamics as in like no one ever talked about it. I was just more like blindly shooting at a target that I didn't even know about. The most that I knew about college was like my best friend Flavio and best friend Damato. I think that's where it all starts fitting in the picture.
0: So when you were growing up, was education prioritizing your family or was the consensus more of just try really hard and we'll see where that gets you?
2: It was neither or. It was more just like do what you got to do and then find a way to make money and you'll be all right there was really no emphasis on the education, not a strong emphasis at the least, you know, it was just the basics, you know, like what's influenced by society, go to school, don't skip it, pass, graduate, but nothing like, hey, you need to go to college, do this, you know, A, B, and C, and then maybe that'll put you in a successful path. There was never a priority about talking about education. There was never either like a conversation about hard work. It was just you do you.
0: So for your family, it was about the economic prosperity, right? Ensuring that you were obviously not going to starve. And for them, it was more of like survival skills per se.
2: Yeah, you can eat. You have a roof that you live under. You know, you're not living under a bridge. You're good.
0: Yeah, totally. And I'm guessing that had a lot to do with like how your parents grew up and what they prioritized just for themselves as well.
2: Right. And then being the youngest, those ahead of me really didn't set a standard There wasn't really like a standard like, oh, okay, yeah, you go to college, you do this, you become this, you know, it was more like, well, your older sister went to college, you know, and she lives kind of well, your other sister's going to college, and she's taking a little longer than usual. But there you have that. And then you have your brother that's really not doing much. And then you have your other brother that's really not doing much either. So there's really no standard in terms of college and school.
0: So then you go on to high school. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Were you challenging yourself? I know that you joined JROTC. So tell us a little bit about what JROTC is and why did you decide to join it?
2: Yeah, I never really challenged myself in high school. It it was just more like go to high school. You know, it it wasn't like try to do your best in high school. It'll set you up for future endeavors. It was just like go to high school because it's part of doing life. So I just went to high school and strolled along, you know, not really bend my back backwards to like try to get good grades or try to excel or anything like that. It was just kind of like, okay, well, let's go to class, do what I can do. And then that's it. I was in JROTC for four years, the the entire high school experience. And then I I did drill team for the whole, four years as well and that was because of a friend Chris Archila he wanted to join the drill team and he ended up inviting me I just went along just to follow you know like I really didn't have anything to do after high school so I just followed and I ended up liking it the first two weeks I kind of just stuck with it like it was never really in my nature to just quit like oh okay well I'm done whatever so I kind of just stuck with it and I, I liked it and I liked the whole discipline aspect of it and the whole uniform thing
0: So at what point in your high school career do you decide, I'm actually not going to go to a traditional four-year college, but I'm actually going to go into this thing called the academies?
2: Yeah, the decision at West Point came pretty late. And I think that's when my best friend Amato made it into the preparatory school. And I remember it piquing my interest because it was like, I, I want to do the armed forces. And I kind of just thought to myself, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it the best way possible and not go enlisted, right? Because there was the entire commotion of that if you go enlisted, enlisted, don't live the best of lives, right? I'm in low pay barracks all the time. So it was just a simple thought of saying, okay, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it at the best of my ability. And I never really spoke to Amato about it. I kind I just looked it into it myself. I just searched it on Google and maybe four or five YouTube videos here and there. And and that was it. And I never really took advantage of the opportunity of actually having my best friend in there and asking him everything about it. So the first step was to get a nomination, a congressional nomination. And they said no. That stung a little bit. It became more of an obsession to get the yes instead of just accepting a no.
0: So why did you not ever talk to your best friend about this? If this was something that interests you? I mean, you decided to sort of take the hard way, if you will, by Googling this all by yourself, when in reality, you had a wealth of information very close to you.
2: I think it was because I was a little shy in terms of asking about it. And that's because he used to poke a lot of fun at me. So I just felt almost silly asking about it because in high school, I was weighing like 265 pounds and stuff. It seemed unrealistic even asking about it. I used to have a class that was taught by a track coach. I wanted it so bad in my mind that I'd be willing to wake up at five, four, whatever and try running. Even if I've never ran, I was going to try to do it then. And so I remember asking the coach like, hey, I know you do track and field or whatever and can you help me out and I remember him saying that's not for you like you're not going to be able to do it why don't you just let go of those dreams you're not going to lose 60 70 pounds and so him saying that kind of just shattered me a little bit so it shattered the idea of even asking a model for help so I was like well a coach sees that my best friend that actually goes there is probably going to be like I don't want to tell you the truth but you probably don't have it to attend
0: So what I'm hearing is a lot of your commitment to attending one of the academies, perhaps fueled from a lot of no's that you received, no from the initial nomination, no from the coach, and perhaps that's what fueled you and pushed you to keep on going.
2: That's absolutely what sparked it. I didn't want to just sit down and say, oh, well, somebody said no and that's it. I I wasn't going to take someone's opinion or whatever and just make that my reality. I didn't have, obviously, like support at home either about it because they didn't even know about the place. And then asking teachers for recommendation letters, they were always like, yeah, I don't think you're going to make it, but yeah, I'll write you the letter. Yeah, it it stemmed from a lot of no's and I kind of just wanted to prove that I could do it.
0: So can you just walk us through what are the different requirements to even apply, right? Because there is a nomination phase that you alluded to, even before you get a yes or no from the actual institution. So what are the other elements that people might not be aware of that you sort of have to get done in the process of the application?
2: So if I remember correctly, it's it's your congressional nomination. That's like basically the deciding factor, whether you move forward or not from the uh, pre-application. And then I think once they give you the nomination, if I'm not mistaken, you have to do your PT test. And that has to be administered by a veteran or someone that's active duty. And then your essays, you write three essays. I think one of them was, what do you think about duty on a country? And the other one was, why do you want to serve? And then the other one was, what do you think about leadership or something along those lines? And then obviously, the SATs, then your transcripts. And that's pretty much it. But the biggest ones is you mentioned the congressional nomination, and then the PT test and height and weight.
0: So remind me how many people your congressman or woman can nominate?
2: They can only nominate two per academy, depending on the size of the district. But we obviously lived in a big district. So I think it was two per academy.
0: And the reason why I ask that it is because I want our audience to understand the level of rigor that is associated with getting this yes, you have to be one or two of this individual. So that already sets a high bar. Let's pivot here. You talked a little bit about talking to your family about this. So can you go down memory lane here with me? Do you remember the first time that you brought it up to your family? What did your mom say? I imagine there's a lot of images crossing her mind, right of people fighting in Afghanistan. Do you remember what 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 she said to you and what your dad said to you at that point.
2: Yeah, I think the first time the name West Point ever surfaced my home was when a model made it in. And that's because he used to go to the house right after high school every afternoon. And I remember him being super excited that he got into the prep school and he brought it up. My parents didn't even know about that place. I remember he left and my mom was just asking me like, what was his deal? You know, like, what was he so excited about? And so I explained it to her at the time. Like I didn't even comprehend either like the magnitude of the academy. I explained what I read on Google and what I've heard from like Lieutenant Colonel David, the head instructor. Of JRLTC, and whatever other guests that would come and talk to us about West Point or the academies. Where it did start to come up a little more often was when they saw me cry like crazy because I didn't get the nomination. Like I remember getting the letter and saying it wasn't there and I was just crying. And then my dad sat next to me and he was asking me, well, why are you even crying? And then that's when I started explaining it. It's in 2009, so it's in the middle of the war. And then I think my brother had just been shipped off to uh, Paris Island for the Marines. And so they had just that small trauma, right? That my older brother has left and they were dealing with that separation. Now their younger child wants to go to what seemed to them was just like straight to the armed forces. They're not even looking at the importance of the academy. They don't even know that it's college. That took me about like a month to explain to them that it was regular college with the commitment, obviously, to serve.
0: What I think you highlight here is oftentimes when folks want to go and serve in the armed forces, there is a level of complexity that has to be explained to parents who, number one, college is a new phenomenon. And then number two, there's this thing called an academy, which is essentially a college plus you serve afterwards. So that already is a second layer of understanding that's required from the parents. So then it turned out that you didn't get in. And then you mentioned in your introduction that you went to another prep academy before you made it into the other prep academy
2: yeah so i graduated high school and i'm over here thinking i'm gonna go to colorado state university because that's the college that i had applied to why? I have no idea. I just applied to it. I hadn't looked into as to why it was good or what was his strengths, what was his weaknesses. And then getting ready, obviously, to like get financial aid for this university. And I think it was like four days before my departure to Colorado, I get a letter in the mail and it says Greystone Academy Preparatory School. So I opened the brochure and it basically just says we help students that their dream is to go to the academy. We help them make that dream come true. I remember it picking my interest like a lot. At the time, it also just said that it was just for the naval academy so i remember calling colorado and i canceled everything and i said sure like sign me up
0: so let's pause there for a second Eddie, because i actually did not know this just to make sure we get this straight you're about to go off to college you decide four days against it because you're going to go take a gamble on this other institution that you've never heard of but that promises to make this dream a reality for you
2: That's right. I signed up the application. I put in all the paperwork. I did the essays. Like I did everything in two, three hours because the application the deadline was that day, four or five hours before. So I fill out the application, whatever. And I get a call from Commander Bailey, the guy that was actually in charge of North Greystone Preparatory Academy. And he says like, yeah, bud, you're in. And we already did the whole financial aid, whatever. You only have to pay six grand out of pocket. And I said, great. And my dad at the time was super happy about it, right? Because it was in Colorado. It wasn't like 10 or 12 hours away. It was three and a half hours. And so my dad supported that part. So he drops me off. And then everyone in there wants to go to Naval Academy, right? Because that's what it was made for. It was pretty silly. But after like a month or two, I was like, man, what am I doing? Like, I really don't want to go to Naval Academy. I came up to Commander Bailey and I told him, I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to go to the Naval Academy. I want to go to West Point. That's always my dream. I don't know if you can make that happen. And he was like, we don't have an affiliation with West Point yet, and we're in the talks so they can try to accept this program, but there's no promises. At the time, that program was new. It was only me and like six other guys. I didn't know that.
0: So it doesn't even have an actual track record of success, is what you're saying.
2: That's right. They had his track record, and I came to find out later, was two students. And so so on the brochure where it said 100%, then you look at it and it's two students. You're like, oh, okay, well, no wonder. Then I get in there and I become the first one out of that program, the second class, if you will, to go to West Point.
0: Okay, so then you actually get accepted into the prep academy. And just for our audience, there's three academies, right? There's the Naval Academy, the Marine Academy, and West Point, which feeds into the Army. Is that correct?
2: There's the United States Military Academy, which leads into Army. There's the Naval Academy, which is Navy, but the Marines are part of the Navy. So if you choose to go to Marines, you can go Marines as a choice from the Naval Academy. And Then you have Air Force Academy, then you have Coast Guard Academy, and then you have Merchant Marine Academy. And any of them you can choose. To go whatever branch you want, it just gets that much more difficult. So from army, you can go to marines, you can go air force, whatever, but you have to go through a whole process of branch selection, which makes it difficult. And then the merchant marine academy, you don't have a service obligation after that. You actually don't have a stipend or anything like that throughout the academy. It's just regular college with uniform, basically like a big ROTC or like corps of cadets, like Texas A and M type of thing.
0: So I want to dig in a little bit into that, Eddie. So tell us about the benefits of going to this. Types of academy. So you mentioned the stipend, like how much are we talking about? And obviously, all of your education was paid for. But what are some of the other benefits that most people don't know?
2: Now that I'm a little more mature, I'd say structure. And I say that because when I was younger, I don't think I would have admitted to you, or I don't think I would have known to say that structure was beneficial for me. I think if I would have gone to a regular college without any structure, just like a free-for-all actual university, I don't see myself graduating. I feel like I would have just deviated, but. structure that they provide. You're going to take these classes. You're going to do this. You're going to work out. You're going to talk about leadership. You know, like a lot of things that I didn't know that I needed to know. And I found that to be a huge benefit.
0: I think what I hear you say is just connecting the dots here from your upbringing, because perhaps you didn't have that level of structure. And because you didn't really have a vision of what you wanted to do with this college degree, the probability of you graduating would probably be non-existent, according to you, if you had not had the structure in place and the pillars to sort of stand you up and say, this is why you're doing the things that you're doing.
2: Right. Or just show you what's out there, period.
0: Yeah, Eddie. So one thing I don't know that I capture fully is the why. I mean, you're talking about being extremely disciplined, getting up at outrageous hours of the day, not really having the college life. I'm guessing like parties were not a thing for you. I work with a lot of folks from West Point and a lot of them, more than probably 70% of them would say that the experience was not fun for them.
2: yeah a lot of them will probably tell you i bet you they say verbatim horrible place to be at beautiful place to be from
0: and so i don't understand still the reason why you would want to put yourself through that knowing what you know today at the core of it why was it that you wanted this so badly badly enough to continue to try not once but twice
2: well three times really
0: yeah three times so yeah tell us the actual why behind this
2: It was more of an obsession. Once I made it there, I fell in love with it. Yeah, it it was sucky waking up at five in the morning, someone yelling at you, and that's your college experience. Not going to parties. You know, you're 21, but you don't get to drink. Talking about leadership all the time. And, you know, everything is just very formal, very professional. You're missing out on the uh, regular college experience. But looking back at it now, like I just, I fell in love with it because it was about trying to be the best for you so that you can gain Respect from your soldiers, you know, and then that whole aspect of leading was that's awesome. I want to do that
0: can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to be a student there as a first generation college student? So we talked a little bit about bringing your parents along for this ride. A lot of the things that we hear from our guests is having to send money home or even how to talk to your parents because you're so far away. Do you feel like you became someone they didn't recognize? So what are some of those challenges that perhaps were associated with being a first gen college student?
2: Yeah, so the sending money home, I'm lucky to say that my parents never really demanded that for me. I didn't have that problem. The ones that I can associate with are not having the support system at the academy, making me feel very left out. The academy is like a small school, right? So each class was the size of our senior class in Lamar High School. It starts off like 1,200 and it dwindles down to 980 or something like that at the end of graduation. Throughout the whole time of the academy, because you're always locked in, they always have celebrations where you can invite your parents and stuff like that. So they'll have like yearling winter weekend and Plea parent weekend and stuff like that, right? Plea parent weekend is probably your biggest weekend as a plebe there because you don't have any freedom, right? You're walking to class and stuff like that with your mouth shut. You know, you can't talk on the hallways. When you're in the buildings, you're walking against the building, right? With your hands cupped saying yes or no, sir, greeting everyone. And so that Plea parent weekend is when everyone is gone because it's the weekend right before spring break, but they hold you there and then you can go to spring break after that weekend. So everyone's gone, right? No first. And so the whole academy is to yourself and that's the time where you can share it with your parents and stuff like that When everybody has their parents there and you're the only one that doesn't it's not the best of feelings And so I think that's the part that I needed the most to at least feel that I was doing the right thing But when we're having all these banquets and all the parents are there and smiling and cheering with their kids And I'm literally just sitting there by myself
0: So was it because of monetary reasons that your parents couldn't be there or why was it that they weren't there with you?
2: No, it wasn't monetary reasons. It was just, I don't think they understood it. It was kind of like you have prom. Oh, okay. Congrats. Go have fun. And that's the way they took it. You have pre-parent weekend. Oh, cool. Go have fun.
0: And I think it goes back to your earlier point, right? Like this lack of understanding number one about college and then number two about college plus serving in the army. And like you said, I'm sure that your brother's trajectory also influenced their sentiments around it, but you were able to have them during graduation
2: very forcibly but yeah like it wasn't just me it was it was my sisters and my brothers like all basically just pulling strings saying you guys are idiots like pay attention to what he's doing pay attention to what school he's graduating from it's not the biggest of deals but it's a big deal so just go
0: yeah so tell me what goes through your mind as you are walking across the stage and you are literally almost feeling that diploma in your hand
2: I made it, but it's almost unreal. You know, it almost seems like it's a dream and you're going to wake up and you're gonna have to go do PT again.
0: I think it's one of those moments that you're like, wow, I worked so hard for this. I can't believe that it's manifesting into an actual diploma into an actual career. Let's pivot over to that career. So tell us how many years did you have to serve? Where did you serve? And what did you do?
2: Upon graduation, I commissioned as a field artillery officer. I got shipped off to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and that's where I did my basic officer leadership course. And then I went on to a training unit, and uh, I was basically an officer there for administrative purposes. And then you, you have to serve five years. I got out in three and a half.
0: And how were you able to get out in three and a half when most people have to do five years?
2: I resigned because after all that buildup, I didn't like the real army.
0: Okay, so after all of that, after three rejections, after all of the tears, you decide that you don't like this.
2: I like doing it. I didn't like the tyranny, if you will, of the military. If you said, hey, get from A to B, I'd say, got it, I'll figure it out. But when you have someone micromanaging you throughout the whole way and your opinion doesn't matter because you're just the lower rank, that's when I got tired of it.
0: But Eddie, didn't you know that? Didn't you know that that's really what you were walking into?
2: Well, I thought you would welcome the ideas. You know what I mean? Like I thought, sure, you got rank on me or whatever, but you're smart enough to realize that if someone's giving you a better idea or maybe a better suggestion, you're going to take it. Not just say, okay, sure, but we're going to do it my way. And so a lot of that got very tiring and I kind of just was like, this is silly. Like I don't, I'm not going to do this my whole life. You know, like I went in there with an expectation thinking, I'm going to do this 20 years. You know, I'm going to try to be Colonel, Colonel Ortega and stuff. But The first year that tasted in my mouth, I was like, oh no, not at all another thing is and you see it a lot so a lot of the academy graduates they won't stay and i think that's because we have that life from day one and then you extend it all the way into your service because it doesn't change much the only change is the pay
0: when you say the life you mean like the waking up the discipline the yelling
2: everything yeah like the whole restrictiveness and the days you have for leave vacation and stuff like that and when you can take it and how you can take it and all the dumb little routines like show up at four at two three in the morning because you need to show me your id Well, why the hell am i showing you my id Well, because I need to make sure you got it, you know, stuff like that, like dumb little routines that carried on all the way to like after the academy, you go into the service burnt out as opposed to like all the ROTC people that lived like a regular college life. Man, those dudes are ready to roll and they're all about it. And so you'll see that trend. Like a lot of the academy graduates, you know, they call it five and fly, you know, because you finish your commitment and you're out.
0: So I have two follow up questions here before we talk about being a vet. My first question is, what are the implications for resigning? So you're essentially quitting your job before it's over. Question two, what advice do you have out there for first gen students like yourself who think that they really want this? How would you have gathered better data so that you made different decisions about this?
2: The consequences, they vary and they vary a lot due to the presidential administration that's in place. You can get out. That's it. No biggie, you know, honorable discharge, whatever you're done. And then other ones are like, okay, sure, but you're going to pay me active duty, like whatever's left. So if you didn't finish your five year contract, then you pay that year remaining, which is not much, but you still got to pay back.
0: But they don't make you pay all of the money for West Point, for example.
2: No, 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 no.
0: Okay, so under which administration did you leave and what were your consequences?
2: Right after Trump and there was no consequences.
0: Let's talk about my second question. Like, how would you have gathered better data to make maybe different decisions
2: I think I would have liked to talk to someone in the armed forces at the time and took you like literally what your day looked like from start to finish. You don't really have that at the academy, you know, like you don't really understand what you're getting into, you know, like branches. And I think the only way you don't know is what we're talking about, right? First gen student. A lot of the kids in there, well, they got daddy, they got mommy or they got brother. I didn't have really anyone to talk about it in terms of like, as an officer, what do you do? So as a first gen, like they present all these branches to you, you know, like infinite Tree, artillery, aviation, yada, yada, yada. You know, and you're just wondering like, okay, yeah, I know, I know I shoot rounds and I shoot cannons, but what exactly do I do? You know what I mean? Cause obviously you're not going to be shooting rounds 24 seven. So in the meantime, when I'm not shooting any rounds and it ain't fun, what am I doing? I would have liked to talk to someone and just hook it up with the information. Like, tell me exactly what we're going to do when we're not shooting rounds, you know? Because that's the fun part, but you're not going to be doing that all the time because the government's not going to be
0: paying for it all the time. Yeah, so I think what I hear is access to knowledge and information. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your life as a first-gen veteran now. What are some of the benefits and some of the challenges that you see?
2: Well, I wouldn't just say first-gen, but I mean, like, everyone in the military, you just run into, like, the problem that you don't know what the world looks like after the Army. While you're in the Army, Me, you're just so caught up in everything that's going on, right? Because it's not like it's an easy job in terms of the tasks they give you, they keep you busy all the time, right? They keep you running, and so you're just so focused in that, trying to do your best in that, that you lose focus. That hey, one day this is gonna come to an end. So, what are you doing to set yourself up uh, for success after you leave, after you step out of that uniform? What's going on, you know? And I would say that's the challenge to see what you want to do after the military and where can you fit in after the military.
0: So, essentially, your career afterwards? Like, what do you do when your first line of access is no longer being an officer?
2: Well, what do you do? And what do you qualify for?
0: Yeah, because I'm guessing it's really hard to also translate what you do in the army to civilian terms.
2: It's really difficult, you know, because you're trying to get a manager spot, you know, while the manager spot over here in Amazon is doing X, Y, and Z while you were over here shooting round. You're trying to translate, look, I know what it takes and I'm trying to take all this information and trying to give it to you and so you can understand it. But there's so many civilians that they don't really understand what you're trying to tell them.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. At my job, we have a special office for veteran recruits, where essentially we help them translate what they do in the Army to business terms to be able to hire them. So that totally makes sense. What about some of the benefits, Eddie, that you see now being a veteran?
2: Well, there's a ton of them, but like I said, like when you're transitioning out, no one really tells you about them, right? And it's not like the military has a an awesome program to tell you, hey, you got all these benefits when you get out, you can use them. You know, they got a little program called SFL Tap, but that's honestly what it comes down to. It's like a check in the box. It's just to make sure they'll just ask you, you got a resume, you got this, you apply for a job, all right, check, boom, you're done. But they don't tell you, hey, once you get out, make sure that you claim your disabilities after running so many miles, after rucking so many miles, you know, after sleeping on rocks and stuff like that your body's going to deteriorate whether you like it or not so claim your disability you know so you can get your pay and you can take care of yourself right after you get out they don't tell you that they don't tell you that there's programs that help you with the resume they don't tell you that there's programs that if there's like an apprenticeship program they'll pay you for the apprenticeship so you can make up what you used to make in the service all those services are there there's a lot of benefits to it but you just got to do the digging and i mean really digging
0: so the pattern once again is information that is not easily as accessible to a lot of people, not just the first gens. Well, Eddie, you have been extremely generous with your time. We thank you so much. Yeah, time As both of our speakers have alluded to, ROTC and West Point or any of the academies for that matter, are a big deal. The armed forces present many opportunities as we heard today, and should be analyzed as much as possible, since it is not for everyone. It is important, just like with college, to know and understand your why. Always continue to ask yourself that question, why am I doing this? Today we heard from two different speakers who had different motivations for starting this journey of doing college and serving in the armed forces. As Nathan pointed out, it requires a high level of patriotism. And as Edward reminded us, it is a decision that should not be analyzed just at the beginning, but at every step of the way. Doing that pulse check is incredibly important and I cannot emphasize it enough. We thank both of our speakers for their service to our country, and any other first gens out there who are also serving. As always, feel free to leave us a review, a comment, or a shout out. Until next time.